you're listening to the Tongue Tie Experts Podcast, a weekly program providing information and support for those families impacted by tongue and lip tie and the professionals caring for them. I'm Lisa Palladino, a midwife and a lactation consultant with over 30 years of experience. If you are a parent looking for answers or a professional who is curious to learn more than what you learned in school on this topic, welcome. This podcast is for you. A gentle disclaimer, please do not consider anything discussed on this podcast by myself or any guest of the podcast to be medical advice. The information is provided for educational purposes only and does not take the place of your own medical or lactation provider. Thank you. Welcome everyone back to the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. I'm Lisa Palladino and today I have with me Autumn Henning. And Autumn, I thought that maybe you would like to introduce yourself. Sure. Great to be here. Um, I'm a speech-language pathologist, a certified orofacial myologist, and an internationally board-certified lactation consultant. Um, I have a private practice. Uh, Chrysalis Orofacial is my company in Greenville, South Carolina. And um, I and my other therapists, we treat the lifespan. So babies all the way through um, older adults. And um, also part of my company, I do continuing education courses and mentoring and consulting for professionals. Wonderful. And part of what we were chatting about before um, we hit record was how wonderfully what we do, you know, we both like to teach. We're both educators and you're doing in-person and um, live courses and I'm doing recorded course courses for professionals. So what a nice um, complimenting situation we have in our conversation today. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time out. And, um, you know, I think it's always very interesting when I have a guest that has multiple degrees or certifications and you have a very accomplished set of initials after your name. Um, with that, you are not only trained to work with infants as I am, but you specialize also in older people, older children, older adults. So, right. you know, how did that come to be? Where did you start? And then what did you add? And, and maybe why? Oh, I, I love this question. So this is my little claim to fame. So I was the first person in the world to have this three um, combination. Wow. and. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple others now, but yeah, I was the first in the world for that. For but um, <laughs> I have no chance of winning the Olympics, so I can't be the best in the world at any sports. So this is what I got. Um, but I like to affectionately call it the oral function trifecta. Mm -hmm. So where I live and my passion is the mechanics of the mouth and face and how it affects our health. And so um, my initial background was speech-language pathology, and within that, um, feeding therapy was what I was doing. And so with that, um, I realized, you know, there's so much more to the story. Um, 
with airway and TMJ and sleep apnea stuff and headaches and and um, mouth breathing and things like that. And so all of these patients that were tongue-tied that I was helping with feeding therapy, you know, I talked to their parents about it and they would just look at me and say, oh my goodness, I grind my teeth. Um, I had teeth pulled. I had tons of orthodontics, those sort of things. And so that's when I decided to get trained in orofacial myology so that I could help, you know, in other ways, not just feeding and speech, but those other things and also serve the adult population. Yeah, the whole family aspect um, is enlightening, really, right? I've often had families in my office here with me who they start, you see the light bulbs going off in their heads, like for older Mm -hmm. kids that, or previous children, or even toddlers that they're raising. And then back to, oh yeah, everyone snores in my family or, or, you know, they start telling you things that you're like, yeah, that's all connected. And they are trying to figure it all out. So, um, some of us refer out and some of us learn how to treat everybody. I like to say I treat everybody in this one little right, area. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I was obviously working with infants with bottle and breastfeeding. And, you know, honestly, as a speech pathologist, we A, don't get much training on definitely not tongue ties, mm. definitely not much on pediatric feeding. And if we are trained in it and what we do get, it's pretty much bottle feeding. Yes. Um, is what we learn and like fragile babies in the NICU and preterm type situations. And so, you know, I've collaborated with a lot of lactation consultants and still do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really, I number one had the hours and the interest and wanted to learn more about the whole dyad Mm -hmm. and the dynamic and what, you know, um, biological norms of nursing are there and really be able to help my patients more fully, Mm -hmm. especially on the maternal Mm -hmm. side. Um, And so that was when I did the IBCLC. Um, I like to tell people I really don't function as an IBCLC. Um, I kind of, like you said, you can't do right, everything right, right. and you can't do it well. Right. And so I really work on the oral motor side of um, latching and, you know, I'll do light things like pumping schedules and flange fittings and things like that. But any major lactation issues, I collaborate with an IBCLC that is so more dedicated and solely to that. And, you know, that's really important to do because... Yeah. I mean, even as an IBCLC, there are there are different IBCLCs that specialize in different parts of lactation. Yes. Like there are people that love to teach people how to use an SNS, and that's not me. Right. You know. Oh, me <laughs> right? neither. Girl. Me neither. Right. No, but there's people that that's their thing. So you know to send along, or people send to me because I can diagnose and and prescribe and test for hormonal issues and milk supply issues and stuff like that. Whereas I don't want to do the nitty gritty flange fittings. Like it's like, yeah, I'll do yes. the basic, but like, you know what, if it's really a problem, go see so-and-so. Cause she, she's a, she's the expert on that. Anyway. So, so you find your niche, right? You find your place where you're comfortable and you know, your limitations and you know, your skills, right? Yep. And you know what? I also think doing what you love is important. Mm-hmm. 
because you're going to be better at things that you love to do than, you know, the the things that you're not as passionate about. But someone else may adore right. that. And so, yeah, the magic happens when we do collaborate. And I have several IBCLCs in town that have actually um, come to my trainings. And so that's really cool because we kind of speak the same language and, and get that connection. So, um, yeah, that's a good thing. And you know what? One of the, um, the things that you brought up that I think is really important um, for speech language pathologists, even RDHs who are doing myofunctional therapy, um, I have a student in the course who's an RDH and is struggling because people are coming to her. She's the only person in her town who does anything around tethered oral tissues or feeding problems. Mm -hmm. And they're referring infants to her and she knows it's not her scope. Like it's really not her scope. And she's only now realizing what she doesn't know, you know, and, and it's a whole process of, yes, you want to help everyone, but you have to be really careful because you don't know what you didn't learn in school. Like, and there are some SLPs and I don't want to put anybody down. I just honestly, you don't know what you don't know. And you don't like when someone says, well, I learned about breastfeeding. Like you don't get it until you've trained as an IBCLC, all the things that you didn't know. And myself, I was a nurse and a midwife and I had three medical degrees and I didn't learn about breastfeeding. So, you know, we have to keep, keep learning. Right. (laughs) I think that's really an important point for sure um, is because, yeah, you don't know what questions to even ask if you're not trained on it. And so absolutely seeking out extra resources and all of that. But just because there's a shortage doesn't mean that it's okay to to go down that, that rabbit right. hole. And I'm the first to say that, you know, a lot of really well-meaning therapists can undermine breastfeeding mm-hmm. um, because of what they don't mm-hmm. know. And, you know, I think it's just being humble and realizing that it needs to be a team and, um, you know, collaborating mm-hmm. is is the key. One of the challenges with that is, of course, what parents can handle, what parents can afford to do, what parents can take the time to do, have the resources or the even availability to get to the other providers that we collaborate with. That's a challenge that I find here. Are you a professional that feels like you didn't learn enough about tongue tie in school? Whether you're a lactation consultant, a nurse, a nurse practitioner, a midwife, a doula, a doctor, speech language pathologist, a chiropractor, PT, OT, dentist, etc. I don't mean to leave anyone out. Anyone who works with pregnant or breastfeeding families in any capacity who is curious about tongue tie is welcome in the professional's guide to tongue tie in the breastfeeding infant. What you'll learn, we have four modules, assessment, treatment plan, phrenotomy, and aftercare. So much great information, and it comes with a community. I didn't learn this in school, did you? Tongue tie treatment can be complex, and those who expect relief of symptoms with a quick snip or even a laser release, even by an experienced provider, are usually disappointed. 
Join me to learn protocols that offer an organized and simplified plan to support families through decision-making, preparation, treatment plans, procedure if needed, and aftercare. Learn the teamwork model of care. Knowing why and which providers are necessary will make things easier for you and provide effective outcomes for your patients. Please sign up today. The link is in the show notes, but you can go to my website, tongtieexperts.net. Go to the professional tab. And one last thing, since you listen to my podcast, you'll get 15% off just by using the coupon code PODCAST15. And the word PODCAST is all in caps. Can't wait to see you in the group. Take care. Your practice is multidisciplinary or it's um, all feeding therapists? No, we are all speech pathologists by background um, with training and feeding and orofacial myology. And one of our other therapists is training in lactation as well. So we all, even within this little niche, we all have our little pockets Mm -hmm. that we we do in life. Beautiful. And... Um, one of the aspects of having this trifecta of degrees that you have and the abilities to take care of different age groups is that you are treating, as you said, across the lifespan. Right. And that is unique. And, and let's talk a little bit about how we make connections of what actually oral motor looks like, what, what symptoms, what concerns look like at different points of the lifespan. Yeah. And I think this is really cool because, you know, it, like, like we talked about educating families, they are like, Oh, I have that. Or my wife has that, or our oldest child had that. Um, so like seeing how it shows up in different avenues. And I think, you know, it's important to know both sides of the coin, Mm -hmm. you know, what happens later and what's the history, because a lot of these people had breastfeeding issues as a baby. And now they're, they're the patient coming in for TMJD or headaches or whatnot. So yeah, you know, what, what red flags people can look out for um, down the road is important to, to educate, especially if, Say you have a, a, a dyad that decides not to do a release, mm-hmm. you know, and tongue tie. What things can they just be on the lookout for developmentally over time? And so I'm sure you've effectively covered <laughs> the, the breastfeeding and baby yeah. symptoms. But, um, you know, for toddlers, transitioning to those solid foods. Mm-hmm. So, um difficulty managing that. So difficulty with chewing, um, gagging, spitting things out. A common one is picky eating. Mm -hmm. And while that can be sensory related and behaviorally related, a majority of the time it's mechanics Mm -hmm. related. And if you can't manage certain foods, guess what? They're scary and hard to eat. So you're not going to eat them. And so those picky feeders... Um, moving on to speech, you know, certain speech sounds, depending on 
how the the frenulum is attached, different speech sounds can be affected, but commonly S, R, L, um, some of those back sounds like K's and G's mm -hmm. often are affected. Um, C, H, S, H. I mean, really any sound can almost be affected by it just depending on how the mechanics right. are. Um, you know, moving on up, how we breathe, how our tongue rests affects how the teeth come in and how the jaws grow. So those, those pressures change that. So any um, of like the open bites or cross bites or um, significant retronathia with the jaw setback, those can definitely be related to my functional disorder. And you can fix all of that with uh, orthodontics, but it's not going to stay. I um, sure know that from personal experience. <laughs> right. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Um, so the intersection of so many different disciplines is what makes the work all of us do so interesting, right? I mean, you're, you're mentioning yeah. dental terms that, you know, some people in the audience are probably like, what is she talking about? But not that we need <laughs> to explain it, but I just wanted to stop and say, if you're a new provider, if you're a new IBCLC or new at SLP and you're hearing terms that you're like, what are they talking about? You know, there was a time when that's what where I was. I mean, I think that very first um, conference I went to in Montreal where, yeah, where we met first, I'm sure that was the first time we met. Um, I was blown away by how other professions were teaching me, you know, teaching us in the audience. And it's unique to what we do. And I say this often on this podcast that. In general, we learn in silos, we learn separately. But for this field, we have to learn together. And if you're discouraged by hearing terms you don't know, stick around, you'll learn them. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know. Curious. Yeah, look them up, reach yeah. out. And I, um, I mean, I find myself going to dental conferences and, you know, airway conferences and reading different things that I would never in a million years when I became a nurse <laughs> way back in 1987 would have never have thought that I would have had any interest in, you know, micronathia, like that word. I love that word. <laughs> you know, like It's a horrible thing, but I love that word. It's really cool. But yes. it's just um, the expansion of all of our knowledge bases and interdisciplinary learning is incredible. And yeah, that's the thing. Like, you know, you've got to get the other piece of the puzzle. And so, you know, I, I joke. I can't tell you the last time I went to a specific speech language pathology conference. Right. Well, I really haven't. I am in, in classes with PTs and lactation consultants and um, chiropractors and dentists. And, you know, it's so interesting yeah, um, to get outside of your box. Yeah. And yeah. And I actually got cool. some, um, slack from some people when I said I was teaching a, a course on breastfeeding the tongue-tied baby to people other than lactation consultants. And I was like, no, 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 whoa, whoa. we have to, everybody's got to know this. Everybody's got to know this. Not everybody's got to treat them the same way we do. But if we don't teach other disciplines what we do, if we don't make them aware of what we do as lactation, then they won't realize how much they need us. <laughs> 
Right. And that's the thing. You're not teaching them so that they can take your job and do it. You're teaching them so that they can better screen their patients and refer and realize the value in it. And the same for my courses. Like, you know, the only requirement I have is that you're a professional that could encounter patients with other girl Mm -hmm. tissues. Um, And I would say, you know, all the people coming in are professionals of some sort. It is their job to know their scope of practice, their limitations, legally and ethically. Um, Just because, you know, I could probably do a really great phrenectomy Mm -hmm. at this point. (laughs) Just because I've learned so many. But that's not my role and that's not my licensure. So, yeah, I mean, we definitely need, I mean... These things are are not well recognized, and families go on for years, many times, without um, these issues addressed. And if we don't start talking about it and doing podcasts like this, um, and courses, and you know, we can't be gatekeepers of information just because we're afraid of what someone might do. Exactly. You know, honestly, like the bad eggs and people that are doing things that they shouldn't do, they're going to get the information one way or another. And the light's going to yeah. shine on them anyway. Right. They'll get, they'll get their thing. Yep. Yeah. And um, the staying in your box kind of thing, I think I respect more. The more I learn with other providers, the more I respect other providers' positions and roles and scopes. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. For so sure. So there's that. And that's so funny how you said you haven't been to, like, I haven't been to a just an IBCLC conference and not even online. Like it's crazy. I'm like, I, I, years because I want to learn beyond that at this point. It's almost time now. I was yeah. thinking about it. It's time to go back to a lactation conference. But anyway, that was, that was wonderful. So um, even older people, right, Autumn? I mean, there are some, like a speech language pathologist friend of mine who is looking at airway now because of her advanced training. Mm-hmm works with older adults. She even found someone who had a stroke at the hospital. And it turned out that he had a tongue tie and very, very difficult oral function. And that may have, because he had poor sleep, may have actually contributed to his Stroke, metabolic yeah. syndrome, his high blood pressure, his, you know, so are you seeing people you know, are you getting that far ahead in the lifespan and, and making connections like that? Yeah, definitely. You know, the comorbidities, um, particularly in the realm of sleep, you know, and airway. So sleep disorder, breathing um, disrupts, you know, sleep cycles, disrupts all the functions that sleep serves. And so, you know, we're definitely seeing change in cognition mm-hmm. and brain fog mm-hmm. when you're Get your tongue out of the airway, breathe better, sleep better. Um, You know, reduction in blood pressure with breathing training, um, things like that. So, yeah, absolutely. Those comorbidities go hand in hand. Um, You know, things like diabetes and um, Alzheimer's are all linked to sleep disorder breathing. So it's really interesting to see that. And you know, sometimes, unfortunately, some of the damage has already been done. Um, but it's never too late 
to improve at least to some right. degree. Right, if it improves your quality of life. And that's how this was for this older gentleman that my friend um, right. happened to come across at the hospital. It was like an intersection of what she's doing privately with infants and seeing in her hospital job, which I think is, is beautiful. Yeah. Um, and the airway piece of it is what I think is the most motivating to me now because... Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing infants with airway issues already. So what what's their life right. going to be? And what what are some of the symptoms that you would say for children that parents can look out for for children? You know, like maybe school age kids or above with that are possibly associated with sleep disordered breathing. Yeah. So, you know, some of the typical symptoms that you see with like ADHD. Um, an ability to concentrate and um, difficulty learning and things like that definitely go along with sleep disorder breathing. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the symptoms and, you know, by that age, usually kids are in their own bed, in their own room. And so a lot of us have to kind of ask and dig and ask pointed questions um, about their sleep. Okay, so maybe they don't wake up and come in the parent's room to to wake them up. But what is their quality of sleep? Maybe they're asleep the whole night, but are they tossing and turning? Does their bed look like a tornado hit it? Um, do they snore? Um, do they have wear on their teeth from grinding? Um, are they sweating at night? Um, do they still wet the bed or wake up frequently to go to the bathroom? Those are all things that signal. Yeah an airway issue interrupting sleep. And yeah, so that, that bedwetting issue was something, when I heard that symptom, it light bulbs went off in my own brain for past family history, you know? It's like, oh yeah, that explains something, you know? Right. Um, what about, and I, I'm asking this blind because I have no idea if it's the case. What about feeding disorders? Is there any kind of relationship with feeding disorders? It just came into my head thinking about, Difficulty eating, not sleeping well at night. I'm wondering if that would, or even something that's posing as an eating disorder, because it seems right. like someone's afraid to eat and it might be a physical symptom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, with the sleep disorder breathing, it changes like your growth hormones and we get those growth hormones deep into sleep. Um, so if you're not spending time in that deep sleep, you're not getting the amount of growth hormone that you need. Mm -hmm. So that's one way. Um, but actually the physical eating. So with, with, um, the, the commonality with a feeding disorder and an airway issue is usually, um, related to tongue mechanics. Mm -hmm. And so if the tongue is low and down, it's in the airway mm -hmm. and disrupting that. And then if they can't manage their food, well, you know, if you choke and gag on something, you really don't want right, that. Right. And, no. And and it, it could be once ever and you never want it for the rest of your life, right? Yes. I always tell people it's like, you know, if you have, if you get food poisoning from a restaurant, guess what? You don't want to go back to that restaurant. And so, yeah, it's just kind of conditioning. Yeah, or if you drink too much of a certain drink when you're younger and <laughs> and you don't have a good reaction, you never, you may never want that certain drink again, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that didn't happen no, to you, did that, it? Not, not me. <laughs> anyway. Um, 
A question I often get, and I actually addressed this on a podcast recently, and I gave my point of view, um, but it's about prevention of future issues. Now, I always get the question, if I don't fix, quote unquote, my baby's tongue tie now, will they have speech issues? And, you know, parents aren't thinking about the breathing issues, but that's more that I'm thinking about is the breathing issues. And I don't like the... I don't ever like to tell somebody for sure that we we know or we do not know. Um, right. What's your take on that? What would you say to a parent who asked you that? My go-to is that, hey, you know what? We don't have a crystal ball. Mm-hmm. We can't say for sure they will or they won't. Um, but we do know that tongue ties are associated with articulation difficulties and speech mm-hmm. issues. Um one of my favorite research studies, um, gosh, who was it? No, I'll have to remember who the author is, but they looked at, um, babies that had tongue ties released and followed them through their, their childhood years. And then they looked at, um, patients who had never had a history of tongue tie at all. And they looked at patients who still have a tongue tie. And never had it addressed. And the untreated children, so the children that did not have any intervention for their tongue tie, had more than double the oh, speech wow. errors. Yeah, than those that had had it treated. Um, so, you know, I looked to, to the research and, you know, honestly, like, I think as long as we're educating and giving them things to watch out for and empowering families to make their own decision. That's all we can right. do. And I, you know what, when you talk about that study and I'd love to get that study and link it in the show notes. Um, what I would want to know is, is it possible that those kids had tongue tie? Yeah. Or, or, you know, it wasn't recognized as a problem, but they actually had it, you know, like, like how do you, you can't like really look back and say, what kind of exams did they have? What kind of treatments did they have? Right. And that's the thing with it. Um, I thought of the author Dolberg, D-O-L-L-B-E-R-G. It's from 2011, I believe, um, which it's getting kind of yeah, old now. But it's still pertinent. Um, still pertinent. Yeah, yeah. I think that's like a very applicable study. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, exactly. Like you said, there's so much nuance to treating tongue tie. And so many people think that you get a release and that's the fix. No, that's just correcting the anatomy. You know, the fix is really, you know, correcting the anatomy so that we can train the correct function. And so, you know, yeah, exactly. What type of exam did they have? Who did the release? Did they do it with correct technique? Did they have any aftercare instructions? Um, Did they have any follow-up intervention or therapy? There's so many variables. And so, you know, when people read uh, my patients, they talk about like the Facebook support groups for parents. And I just caution them. I'm like, if you see anything that sounds, you know, oh, man, we don't know the whole story of anyone's backstory. So take it all with a grain of salt. And I I think there's definitely value in peer to peer support. And um, but, you know we don't often have the whole picture. For anyone listening who wants a 
a wonderful peer-to-peer support Facebook group about tongue tie. My group, Breastfeeding Tongue Tied Babies, is not like the Wild West of some of the other groups um, because I moderate it and I have two other moderators that we don't even let a post in. And we're very much in the comments making sure that nobody's giving out silly information. Um, but sometimes yeah. it's it's even it's even hard within those parameters, you know, because people know what they've been through and they want to share what they've been through, but their story may not be the right answer for someone else. So it's it's complicated. But the um, yes. other thing about the prevention um, part of it is I think that if there are symptoms, like, like there are people that say, oh, my kid didn't have a tongue tie and um, now they have speech problems. So it's not, it's not tied to there. And I'm like, well, one doesn't exclude the other. But the other thing to think about is maybe there were symptoms of tongue tie that were missed as an infant that you don't know about. So when someone comes to me and says, I'm not going to do anything to my baby because my baby, you know, everything is working fine, but I'm afraid my baby's going to have a speech issue like my older child. And then we go through the symptoms of those fine symptoms. <laughs> and it's like, they're like, oh, wait, I do have symptoms. I do. I have that. He does spit up. Yeah. He does have this. He does. I didn't know that was related to tongue tie. So a lot of times right. I think it's important to definitely only treat the symptoms we're having. But there may be symptoms we're having that we don't realize. Does that make sense? Yes. That makes total yeah. sense. Yeah. So, okay. So um, back to the lifespan. Yeah. Have you seen a family? This might not be a fair question. <laughs> Have you seen a family where you've taken care of the, the newborn and have prevented things that subsequently happen to older kids? I don't know if that's a fair question. And, you know, that's the thing. Sadly, we don't have a control. So we can't take this person, treat them, see how they turn out, take the same person. Right, but and see how they trends in that way. Yeah, for sure. Um, so familially, yeah. And we we honestly, we see whole families all right. the time. It's beautiful. Um, Good for them. Your families are very lucky. Yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. It's it's really awesome. Um so with that, you know, they have a kid who, you know, grows up and has speech issues and is bedwetting and has all these orthodontic issues. And then, you know, th with that child, they learned about tongue tie and myofunctional mm -hmm. therapy and all of that. And we had that addressed and then they have a baby mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, we're not going down that road again. <laughs> um, and so, yes, we do have people that... Um, you know, seem to have kind of learned their their lesson in a sense of like, hey, let's make sure this is taken care of and ruled mm -hmm. out. Um, at least lessen the likelihood and lessen the impact. Right. Um, so okay. that's, yeah, that's beautiful. And getting back to what we talked about before about how um, this treatment isn't just releasing uh, the the frenum or cutting something to make everything a little better. We want to restore right. functional movement. And that is true across the lifespan as well. Correct? Yes. 
Yes, exactly. And probably, you know, as babies, you know, they've they've compensated for a much shorter time. And, um, you know, we don't have as many cascade effects, you know, with the tongue tie, the low tongue posture, now the airway issues, now the narrow palate, now the, you know, speech issues, like it's one thing after mm -hmm. another. And so, yeah, it's, it's probably even more apparent in older kids and adults. You know, I like to say old habits die hard. We've, no one thinks about how they chew. No one thinks about where their tongue is. No one thinks about how they swallow or say a certain sound really until it's a problem. And um, we're really working on the finesse and the mechanics of doing those mm. things and doing them correctly. So, you know, I think traditional speech pathology, when we're working on swallowing, we're working with people that are aspirating. And things are going down the wrong way. And we're worried about pneumonia. With myofunctional therapy, these people aren't choking or, I mean, maybe they are. Some are. Usually not gagging or aspirating or choking, but it's how they're doing it. And they're using other muscles. Like a fine tuning of, yes. of the abilities of the tongue. and Exactly. Yeah. And I always say compensations have consequences. So... You know, if your tongue's not doing its job and you're having to use all these other muscles, then it's no wonder you have facial pain and headaches because you're straining muscles that shouldn't be used for a task that they're being used for. Yeah. So it, the recovery in an infant is making sure that the feeding is working well, hopefully breastfeeding. That's always my preference because it gets the mouth nice and open some yeah. um, exercises just to get that tongue moving again usually works in most of my my patients. Um, and then yeah. beyond that, I would refer to someone like you, which I'm very fortunate to have in my area. With an older child or an adult, we would want to do a lot more myofunctional therapy prior to even considering if, if a release of that tongue is needed, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that I talk about. You know, it's kind of like if you have a knee replacement, you don't only want to work the knee. You want to make sure the hip and the calf and the ankle is strong as well to support that new structure. And so same for the tongue. You know, we want to address the jaw. We want to address the cheeks and the lips and and all of that and the breathing. Mm. Um, and that usually helps a faster recovery and, you know, a more, less of a learning curve afterward um, if we get things prepared. So I, I kind of coined a term, I call it therapeutic readiness. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there are certain benchmarks that I'm looking for that we need to meet before we go for a release. Otherwise outcomes are not as good. And, you know, I speak from experience. And when I teach, I talk about my blooper reel. <laughs> um, the things that I know now that I wished I had known at certain times and the lessons I've learned. And the reason I'm so such a stickler on therapeutic readiness now and doing therapy prior to, because I've done it both right, ways. Right. I've done it where, oh, there's a tongue tie. Let's do a release um, because there's nothing I can do until it's released. And it does not work as well. And 
patients spend a longer time um, in therapy and recovery. And maybe those are the the patients, especially in younger people, I think those are the ones that say, oh, we did that and it didn't make a difference. Yes. Like, oh, we already had their tongue released and we didn't see any change. And I'm seeing more, you know, my... I think I have a blooper reel too. I mean, I know I have a blooper reel, (laughs) but um, I'm even lately evolving to a more nuanced approach with sending infants. You know, I want them to be ready and, and the readiness is a holistic readiness. You know, how's the family doing? Is there any major event going on? Is dad or the partner home that week or not? Is there other children? Are they in school? Like what's, what's it going to look like for the family? Um, are the parents ready and able to do the preparation? Is the milk supply there? I mean, if you're trying to get somebody right. to breastfeed and there's no milk, releasing every tongue in the world Good is luck. not going to get the baby to breastfeed. So there's so much to this that I, you know, I like to shout it from the, the rooftops <laughs> or put it on Instagram. That helps too. <laughs> there you go. It's just not about releasing the tie, you know? And yeah. I think that, the people that are um, out there just releasing ties, releasing ties, releasing ties without professional and the right provider guiding, um, that's going to give yeah. our profession a bad name because. And that's what does give tongue tie releases a bad name are those few people that, again, they think they're helping right. and they're they're doing what they know, but they haven't heard the other side of the coin. And, you know. One of the dentists that I work with, Dr. Bynum, we teach a course together. I met her. Um, like, I, I met, yeah. I met Dr. Bynum at the um, American Laser Study Club. Good. Yeah. Um, she she talks about, she's like, what I do is such a little piece of the whole picture. And so finding providers that are humble like that and understand that, you know, yes, a good release is critical. But that's only a piece of the right, puzzle. Right. And, you know, it, like she always says, yeah, it's your job to figure out how to make it work. I've got it for yeah, you. I, wor- yeah. I refer to Dr. Siegel, Dr. Scott Siegel. And I'm very oh, fortunate yeah. to, to be in a geographic location with Dr. Siegel. And he always says, similarly, he says, I have the easy part. This is easy. Right. They're with me for 10 minutes. <laughs> He's like, yes. <laughs> Right. I know. She says, she's like, yeah, you've got to deal with them after. And I'm like, that's yep, right. Yep. That's but, right. I mean, t- t- you know, of course, it's not just the 10 minutes. He's he's getting cell phone calls and everything and pictures sent to him and all that stuff, too. But. Oh, yeah. So anyway, Autumn, it was a pleasure to have this discussion with you today. Thank you so much for joining you too. me. It was on a personal level. It was great to see you again. And I love sharing your knowledge with both the professionals and the parent groups that follow us. And it, yeah. it's wonderful to get this out. And just to know, um, you know, I was looking at your website before I um, popped on with you and the word mission keeps popping out on your website. And that speaks to my heart because I like to have a mission-based practice in whatever I'm doing. So thank you for doing such great work and having such a beautiful mission of impacting lives, which, wow, right? That's a big mission and you're doing it. So thank you so much for what you're doing for families. 
Thank you, Lisa. Right back at you. And thank you for providing this resource and your wonderful expertise at conferences and um, your courses and just all of that is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. Check out the show notes for useful links about the topics we discussed and for ways to follow us on social media. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoyed listening, we'd love it if you'd rate, review, and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.